Welcome to the Clear Points Podcast, where we discuss optimizing customer experience by focusing on engagement points along the customer journey. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health, a North Carolina consulting firm that helps healthcare providers and life sciences companies get to know their patients, customers, and key stakeholders and meet their needs more effectively. Clear Points airs on the ParkLife Podcast Network. Here's your host, Brian Castle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Clear Points. I'm your host, Brian Castle. Clear Points is a production of ClearPoint Health, a North Carolina consultancy that works with healthcare companies to optimize customer, stakeholder, and patient experience. Today, I'm joined by Paul Mead, founder of ClearPoint Health, and general research manager, Mark Schumann. First up, my longtime friend and colleague, Paul Mead, who's also our company's founder. Paul launched CPH in 2003 after spending nearly three decades working in sales, marketing, and commercial strategy leadership for Merck and GlaxoSmithKline. Paul also holds a Master of Public Health with Certificate in Ethics from the UNC Gilling School for Global Public Health, where he also teaches part-time. Now let's listen to a couple of great conversations, first with Paul Mead and then we're joined by our friend Mark Skuman. I find we're in some interesting times, Paul. We've had a lot of conversations through the years about the intersection of healthcare and ethics, and certainly the first major truly global pandemic, a uh, hundred year event, is upon us. I'd like to start our podcast with you putting on not only your healthcare consultant hat, but your professor hat. So Paul, jump on in here and tell us how, in your mind, the COVID-19 pandemic is similar to or different from previous things that the uh, global population has faced. This pandemic is different in the sense that most pandemics are influenza virus. And uh, when this one first came out, it was determined that it was a coronavirus, which is a very different virus and acts very differently. A lot of people get them confused, and they still refer to this thing as the flu. And you'll even see signs uh, at hospitals that will say, you know, flu patients here. Um, It's not a flu. A flu is an influenza. And while they're both respiratory viruses, they act very, very differently. It's related to SARS. It's related to MERS. It's also related to the common cold virus. So it's, it's a very difficult beast. And because it's mutated, it's creating all kinds of problems. We have no history. We have no herd immunity. We have no previous vaccines. We have no treatments. And we don't understand how this virus works. Is this going to go away? I doubt it. I think this is going to be a recurring thing that we see. It may come along every fall, riding the coattails of the influenza virus. It's scary. There are high-risk individuals that, uh, if they get this virus, have reason to be concerned. And there are people who get it and will recover and didn't even know they have it. So based on all of that, I'd like to hear you walk through a few scenarios for the next, let's say, 18 to 24 months. 
what are some of the possible outcomes in light of the fact that we're dealing with something that's completely new? Walk us through what you see as maybe three or four of uh, uh, the scenarios for uh, our country and our world as a result of the dynamics you just described. Sure. So the, the political environment, I think, is going to, we're going to end up in this dichotomy of either we're going to have global isolation, where countries go, you know what, I need to close all my borders. I need to deal with this situation um, by myself. And I can't allow people traveling in, and i got to contain the people that are in the country, and I'm going to isolate myself globally. The other option is we, we all recognize that we're all human beings that this virus does not discriminate against, and it's attacking everybody, the rich, the poor, it doesn't matter. And therefore, we understand that as a global community, we need to come together in a partnership to work on this virus. And I think we're going to see bits of both. We're going to see countries who want to isolate. We're going to see countries who want to partner. In terms of the economy, um, I'm reading lots of stuff saying we're, going, we're heading into a global recession, one that we haven't seen for years and years and years, and it's going to impact everybody. And yet there are other people saying, you know, look, this is not an economic situation. This is a virus. This is a pandemic. So even though we've shut down very quickly, we can open quickly again, and there's going to be a rapid recovery. So again, a dichotomy of either a very slow, painful recovery leading to a recession or a rapid recovery. If you look at technology um, and you think about it in the context of this pandemic, I think we see things like video conferencing exploding. You saw Zoom went from 2 million customers to 3 million customers in the matter of 30 days. Um, the whole video conferencing is going to become a new way of going forward. It's going to become the new normal if there are people who are concerned of exposing themselves to the virus, then the best way to go forward is to use these video conferencing tools. Um, the other thing that technology will drive us towards is, is the self-monitoring. We may be able to wear technology that will monitor our health status. If we suddenly get near somebody that has been a known contact or a person who has been exposed to the virus, we'll get a warning signal going off on some device that we might be wearing that says you're in danger, you're getting too close to somebody. In terms of health, you know, we're either going to develop cures and vaccines that'll fight this thing, and that's the positive side, that in, in the next 18 to 24 months, we'll see effective cures and we'll see effective vaccines. Of course, the downside is that we get a virus that keeps recurring because it keeps mutating and we can't get a handle on this thing. The environment, you know, one of the benefits that we've seen from this uh, stay at home and social distancing is there's a lot less pollution. And we're seeing places that are suddenly realizing, wow, we can effectively work from home and we can cut our pollution down. But, you know, the other problem is that why did this virus mutate? Why did we have this novel virus? And why did it spread so quickly? Is this the new norm? Should we anticipate viruses are going to keep mutating? Is this this mother nature's way of saying, I don't like what you're doing to the environment, so I'm going to send out a few viruses, right? And then if you look at society, society, well, 
I think what's going to happen is we're going to see old jobs that we knew of in the past are going to disappear forever. Those jobs won't come back, but we will see new jobs be created in the future. And so you're going to have people who are suddenly going to have to retrain themselves. They're going to retool their careers because what they did in the past is, is no longer going to be available. And people are going to move into these new jobs. The other thing about society is that um, social distancing may linger. And we're already seeing a lot of mental health issues around the social distancing. We are gregarious human beings. We we work in packs, we work in societies, we work in groups. Social distancing is not our norm. So if we look at those drivers of change because of this pandemic, we can put a few stories together. And the first story I've got, which is always give it a title. So my first story is called Political Isolation, Local Social Distancing. <clears throat> Countries isolate themselves they continue to enforce social distancing at the local level. And so we've, we get this whole political environment that, that is already a few countries are moving towards this nationalism and, and we're no longer the global village that we want it to be. Social distancing lingers on for many years and people interact via video conferencing and online technology. A global recession creates economic disparities. Value creation becomes uh, redefined since currencies become less meaningful. The United States is trying to issue a lot of stimulus money, but what's it doing? It's printing money. What's backing any country's currency if they just print money? But my second scenario is a new global village emerges. And that to me is a more positive one. After the pandemic comes the great recovery comes, where countries pull together and share resources. We recognize that, you know, we have outsourced a lot of things that we do, and therefore we need those partnerships. We need food. We need goods and services. And so we become a global village again. We, we begin to share things, and, and country borders become less meaningful, and, and dictators become less meaningful because what we need to do is all share in this global community. And the third scenario I've got is that memories fade as cures and prevention allow a return to the old ways. One of the things in this scenario is that we develop really effective treatments and we've got a great vaccine and it gets distributed and it eliminates the threat of COVID-19 and people go back to doing just what they were doing and people would just as soon forget it and move on and the economy recovers in about three or four years. And, and my last scenario is that novel viruses become the new norm. You know, despite treatments and vaccines, the coronavirus continues to mutate along with the emergence of other new viruses, and pandemics become more common. So social distancing, isolation, work from home is the new normal. Businesses may radically change in this new environment. Large gathering events like sports and concerts and conventions will have to use monitoring systems to ensure safety. Does that mean we won't ever have uh, spectators at a sport or conventions? Well, they may not be as large as they used to be, but you're going to bet that before you get in the door, you're going to be monitored. ClearPoints is brought to you by ClearPoint Health on the ParkLife Podcast Network. CPH has been a leader in healthcare customer experience for nearly two decades. 
contact us at www.clearpointhealth.com to learn more about our work to help you optimize virtual engagement of key stakeholders due to COVID-19. Virtual engagement is more than sending someone a Zoom invitation. Your customers and key external experts may be evolving in their engagement preferences, and our work shows that they will often point the way forward to better solutions and engagement frameworks. Head to clearpointhealth.com today. With that, let's go ahead and bring in our beloved colleague, Mark Schumann. Uh, Mark uh, is general manager and research lead uh, here at Clearpoint Health. And he has dedicated his work with us to uh, customer engagement for several years. And he's doing some mission critical work right now uh, with regard to the effects of COVID-19 on interactions, particularly in the medical science liaison outreach to the key opinion leader community. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Brian. Thank you for for inviting me to join. Yes, um, so I think you, um, you make an interesting point. We're certainly living in interesting times. And, um, you know, as the pandemic evolved, we immediately realized that this fundamentally is going to shift the paradigm of KOL MSL engagement. Um, It became abundantly clear that the work as usual in terms of MSLs Uh, being able to do face-to-face appointments with KOLs um, would no longer be possible. And again, as you referenced earlier, um, relationships being so important, um, and many of these relationships are based on the MSL's ability to meet with KOLs face-to-face. And here, almost in an instant, the whole paradigm shifts. Well, so so let's let's take a step back, and if you could, and I know Paul has some expertise in this area as well. Could you explain for the audience the the typical engagement model? I know from our work, uh, life sciences companies are typically split into two major areas, commercial and medical affairs. Commercial obviously wants to drive prescriptions or the use of devices, uh, whereas medical affairs is more about scientific exchange with the disease state medical community that would use the drug or device. And so what's what's been the typical engagement model if you could compare medical affairs versus the commercial sales rep? This, the typical sales rep is usually mostly tied into the uh, commercial or marketing side of the of business, whereas the MSL or medical science liaison is tied into the medical affairs. Medical science liaisons uh, popped up over 50 years ago. It was started by Upjohn, and the idea was to have an exchange of, they hired physicians 
to go in to talk to physicians. So the idea was to have a very high-level scientific exchange. Now, the qualifications to become an MSL has changed over the time, uh, over time, but it has not really changed in terms of the, the objective. And, and that objective is to have a very good scientific exchange with the thought leaders. So that hasn't changed over 50 years, um, and, and that value is really important in that relationship. So um, the sales rep model has changed a little bit. Access has become much more difficult. So it's a little harder for sales reps to get in to see a lot of the healthcare providers, whereas the relationship of the MSLs with the uh, opinion, thought of key opinion leaders has remained fairly secure over these years. Well, on my work on the medical affairs side, I know that the typical MSL, uh, depending on the size of the disease state, you know, and and the amount of coverage that a company might have within it, the the effect of their treatment, um, they're calling on very high level influencers or, or people that have a big impact in the space, and so a typical MSL might have somewhere between twenty and forty key opinion leaders that they engage with routinely, at least quarterly, um, and they're having typically longer meetings, sometimes doing work with them on clinical trials, um, whereas the sales rep, can you quantify that side for us, Paul, like how many people they would typically call on and then the duration of the meetings, even if you could call it a meeting? Yeah, well, they they would have a much higher number, uh, typically anywhere from two to 300 uh, healthcare providers they would call on. Um, they probably talk to some pharmacists as well. And, um, you know, when I was a sales rep, it wouldn't be too difficult to get 15, 20 minutes. Today, if you get five minutes, you know, typically you're doing well. So uh, the time of engagement is much shorter and uh, for the sales rep. But the MSL is still able to carve out, you know, those 20, 30-minute discussions on occasion. Some are shorter. But yeah, so the amount of, of time that you have with your customer as a sales rep is considerably shorter than it would be for an MSL. Mark, I've just seen your, your work that you've been working, doing for the last few weeks on uh, COVID-19 fresh out of the oven. There's some remarkable findings um, where you, you're able to now discuss with a pretty fair level of intelligence how the model is shifting uh, what you're seeing uh, out there in terms of KOLs on, on the national and global stage. Talk about your research tool, how you went about this survey, and then we'll walk through some of the findings. As I mentioned, we we immediately understood that, that this pandemic was going to have significant implications for um, pharmaceutical engagement with their customers um, it was apparent immediately. So what we did is we developed an online survey instrument. What we wanted to do is now having gone through approximately six to eight weeks of this paradigm shift was to really understand what were the experiences that the key opinion leaders, and again, just to be uh, specific, this survey went out to um Key opinion leaders, so these again, as Paul defined, are the um, 
expert physicians and healthcare practitioners. Um, we reached out to them and we realized that this was a time uh, we had to get this done quickly. So we developed a very simple survey instrument. We sent it out to them. We got 112 responses. Again, this was limited to the United States. Um, and it took us a week to analyze the feedback. And really, it was pretty simple. We asked them some, some, some real high-level questions. We asked them, how likely are they to engage virtually or digitally? Now, we have some benchmarks from our work in 2018 where we could compare has the likelihood to engage virtually or digitally, has that changed? And I'll come back and speak to that in a moment. I just want to go through the, the key questions because there's really only three or four of them. We also asked the, the KOLs, how would you like MSLs to engage so based on your experience, having gone through this six to eight weeks of this new reality, um, what would you like? How would you like the MSLs to deliver scientific information? And then lastly, we, we said to the KOLs, um, you know, how can current engagement, so what you've experienced in the last six to eight weeks, how can that improve? How can that digital or virtual engagement improve. So we were actually um, pretty um, pretty happy with the response. Um, when we think about our sample, 112 responses representing uh, close to between 15 and 20 therapeutic areas. I don't have a count in front of me right away. And perhaps most importantly, um, 33% of the 112 respondents actually were COVID-19 treaters. So we could take a look and see, is the experience that KOLs want, is it different for those KOLs who treat COVID-19 versus those who do not treat COVID-19 patients? Um, so that's the overview. Um, and now let me uh, – so any questions before I move on and share some of the findings uh, from our research? I'd love for you to begin with your findings sharing about some of the mixed messages out there. Um, this is, what strikes me always is, is we can't discount the fact these are all human beings with individual – preferences. And so these surveys can be very directional for companies, but it doesn't always point to a singular direction. It gives you advice on, on multiple levels. So walk us through that. Yeah. So I think that, that uh, point number one or finding number one, we've got to recognize that um, both KOLs and MSLs are actually learning how to navigate this new reality. And that specifically when we think about KOLs, um, if, we, if, if we think about that face-to-face -face engagement is no longer possible. So what are their expectations in terms of engagement moving from face-to-face -to, -face to now virtual or digital type engagement? 
And I think the key takeaway here, as, as you mentioned, is that there is no consistent view of what that experience should do. One of the things that struck me as really being very interesting is that a number of KOLs on the positive side said, oh, I've had some virtual engagements. We've used teleconferencing. We've used a number of platforms to do video chats, and it's worked pretty well for me. Others have said, I've had absolutely no engagement from MSLs. In the last six to eight weeks, everything has gone radio silent. Um, I have questions relating to, and specifically all KOLs have questions relating to COVID-19. Are there interactions with the products or my treatments that you're providing with potential COVID-19 therapies, uh, et cetera? And, you know, here we have KOL saying, I haven't, I have had absolutely no interaction. Um, there are KOLs that are saying, I've had positive experiences and KOL saying, I've had negative experiences. And so re really coming back to that point that this, we are still in the learning phase of what is this new experience that KOLs expect. And we also in the learning phase of how MSLs can deliver and meet those customer expectations. One of your KOLs made a point to say routine visits are not appropriate at this time. And that goes back to, you know, the value question, you know, are you bringing value uh, to these relationships? You, the medical science liaison versus um, just the more traditional relationship building. And they're going to, they're going to prize these relationships. The ones that bring value, that's always the case, but I think it'll be even more the case uh, moving forward. We've seen that this fundamental, which we call a paradigm shift in terms of face-to-face -to, -face to both virtual or digital. And let me share some data with you just to reinforce how powerful the shift has been. So in 2018, we asked key opinion leaders, um, and this was a broad sample from across the U.S. in multiple therapeutic areas. We asked them, how likely are you to engage digitally? And here's the big takeaway. We found that approximately 30% were promoters of digital or virtual engagement. So they, which we could probably classify those as the early adopters. Another 33% were passives. So those were, which we could consider um, those that'll follow um, certainly not early adopters, but if the experience was positive, would potentially transition to digital or virtual engagement. But here's the key takeaway. 40% of KOLs in the U.S. in 2018 said, we are detractors. We are essentially um, not interested in digital or virtual engagement at this time. So we asked the same question now in our survey to KOLs now in 2020, um, six weeks into the, the COVID pandemic here in the U.S. And here is the significant change. So our promoters, those early adopters, those KOLs that actively want to engage virtually or digitally has jumped from 30% to 55%. The passives have jumped um, 
as well. And here is the key takeaway. The detractors or those KOLs that are not interested in engaging has dropped from 40% to 20%, not interested in engaging digitally and virtually. So it was kind of interesting to me that even under the the change of our new reality with the COVID-19 pandemic, we still find 20% of KOLs are not are potentially detractors and really are not in, not interested in engaging virtually or digitally, which I think really speaks to how fundamental the shift is for many people. I think a lot of people think about, oh, we can just uh, adopt a communications platform, a video conference or teleconferencing uh, type application, and there we go. And not recognizing that for many individuals, as Paul was saying, a teleconference or virtual type engagement may be stressful, may be something that they are not really that interested in doing. And that begs the question of how do pharmaceutical companies, how do medical groups in particular actually identify this group and find ways to engage them? Um, because ultimately losing 20%, losing engagement with 20% in your customer population um, is really not acceptable and, and will potentially have an impact on business outcomes. Well, I know you didn't, I know you didn't screen for um, ages in, in the research, but I know as a general rule, um, key opinion leaders, just by definition, it, it takes – time and lots of effort on a number of fronts, uh, publishing research, uh, collaborating with other uh, leading physicians and healthcare providers. Um, your, your wheelhouse, uh, age group-wise, would, would be older Generation X, uh, people over 50, um, you know, kind of in that 50 to 70, some therapeutic areas Paul, what, it might dip down to about 45, but this speaks to maybe an age gap uh, as well. Well, there's also, Brian, a, a personality type, um, and Mark likes to talk about personas, but, you know, physicians are people people, right? They go in because they want to help people. They're nurturing kind of people. So there are a lot of physicians who are very much that social person, right? And so they value a social face-to-face -face interaction. And so the 20% that Mark is talking about may have nothing to do with age or technology. It may be that they're just that kind of personality that really values a face-to-face -face engagement and they just do not like this, you know, technology and video conferencing. They feel it's too cold and sterile. Yeah, Brian, if I may, I think um, th this speaks to the point of purposefully designing experiences. So if, if we think back that pharmaceutical companies over time have spent money, resources, time, and effort to design an experience that creates value in that face-to-face -face engagement. And that experience has been refined, and most pharmaceutical companies do a pretty good job at understanding the key opinion leaders' needs and sharing the information in a way um, that really creates value for the KOL. 
So the key opinion leader is inclined to provide greater access, um, to, to utilize the information in their research and potentially in their clinical practice. The reality now is that we are moving into a different experience. And the question, it really begs the question of, we no longer have the historical learning of those face-to-face engagement that was refined over time. And the question is, can we just transfer the same things that we do in face-to-face to digital? And really thinking about, do companies really need to purposefully design the new virtual experience in order to deliver the value um, that was created prior to this paradigm shift. ClearPoints is brought to you by ClearPoint Health on the ParkLife Podcast Network. CPH is the global leader in developing original research methods and tools to help pharmaceutical, biotechnology, and medical device companies optimize their relationships with critical advisors like disease state key opinion leaders. Learn more about our MSL assessments and medical affairs effectiveness tools by visiting www.clearpointhealth.com. So let's round out this discussion. Um, I know you you boil it down to five key findings uh, under the big header of the world has changed. So guide our listeners in the in the five key findings of your research. Yeah. So the world has changed, and as you were saying, Brian, opportunity abounds to rise to this challenge. So five key takeaways. So we've seen, as as we've spoken about today, this dramatic and almost instant paradigm shift. And it's happened. And now we need to respond to that. And the data shows that. And um, now with telehealth, as Paul mentioned, um, you know, now patients are being treated virtually and digitally. And I think that is also going to boost this this paradigm shift as as we've seen um, to take place. Because once you start treating uh, people digitally, the whole idea of virtual engagement, um, you know, just becomes uh, simple and easy to drive through. Um, As we mentioned, both KOLs and MSLs are learning to navigate this new reality. Uh, and again, the, it's going to take a period of time um, to to really understand what experiences are required by KOLs. And and as we alluded to, that one of the key elements to be able to determine what experience to deliver is whether or not the KOL treats COVID nineteen patients, because that again is going to ensure that an MSL can fundamentally elevate different value drivers um, based on those KOL's needs. Now, as we learn more about this new engagement mode, and as we get more feedback from both KOL's and MSL's, so I think it's important 
um, if you have MSL medical field teams to be at this point in a systematic manner, asking them, um, what are you learning in the field each time as you are doing these virtual engagement, what has worked well for you again, and additionally asking your KOLs, are you comfortable? Are you getting value in terms? So being able to bring these two key elements together and really think about strategically thinking about how to purposefully design this new experience where, as I've touched upon, novelty, relevance, and timeliness becomes more important. Impartiality in the short term, less important. So again, thinking about what MSLs do, what MSLs say, and what do they share um, to make these experiences value additive. And then beyond that, looking towards the future and saying, what is the new normal? And as Paul did scenarios um, in the beginning is saying that um, what does this fundamentally mean for my organization and, and in this instance, the medical organization, who I hire and what training is provided and when do I start to make those switches? For example, when do I start changing my current uh, engagement model. And we know that everyone at this point is taking, um, you know, I'm going to call it quick and dirty steps to adapt. But fundamentally, it's, it's going to require a more strategic view to think about if this is the new normal, how are we going to make these changes to the organization? Thinking about it in terms of people, do we have the right people, our processes and our support systems? Because all of that is going to contribute to your ability to be able to deliver value over time and really drive those outcomes that you're aiming at. Thank you for that, Mark. Uh, Paul, anything to add on the subject before we head out the door? Yeah, I was going to um, I was going to paraphrase Dennis Waitley. He wrote a book years ago called Empires of the Mind. And he basically said the winners of the future are the ones that don't allow technology to use them, but find a way to use technology. And so with, with all of this social distancing and video conferencing and new technology, we may become too enamored with the technology and the technology begins to use us versus us using the technology. So as, as Mark pointed out, it behooves us to be very careful and very selective on using this, this, the technology and the tools that work well and achieve simplicity. So I think what's, what we don't know is we don't know what the long-term outcome of all this pandemic is going to be. We don't know what the light at the end of the tunnel is going to look like, and we're all speculating. But I think we can all be fairly certain that it won't be the same as it was. The world has changed for us. Just like in 1918, after the Spanish flu, the world changed for a lot of people. And, and we're living history right now. We're going to live through this transition that for the next 100 years will be written about and talked about by people. And so we've got to get it right. The winners of the future will be the people that get it right and understand how to use this new technology to better the customer experience. 
Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to Clear Points on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify so you won't miss our next episode coming soon.